Hello and welcome to Inform Live Radio. Um, I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. I hope you're hearing me. We're having some technical difficulties. I'm going to bring on Bob Reynolds uh, right away uh, just to make sure we have two people and maybe one voice will come over. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bernadette. How are you? (laughs) Wow. It's it's just um, a little interesting going on here. We'll just watch the chat box and, and our wonderful engineer at the station will let us know um, how we're doing and if the um, audience is hearing us. Um, so please chime in anyone if you are not and if we're just staring blankly or something. <laughs> but hello, welcome to Inform Life Radio. We're thrilled to be here, even with the little hiccups that are happening. Um, so it's going to be me and Bob talking today during this health hour and, and then, hey, and during the Liberty Hour as well. We want to say, as we always do, that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of our wonderful KKNW, CHDTV, or Informed Choice Washington. We're just here talking, bringing you information, doing what we can to help you live that informed life. We're not giving legal or medical advice please seek out your trusted medical or legal advisor. And if you don't have a trusted legal or medical advisor, please find one. Find one before you need them because that's when you can make rational decisions about who you're bringing on um, to, uh, you know, to be your guide. Bob, I'm kind of segueing, uh, I mean, squirreling a little bit as I always do. Um, a whole new attitude really is emerging. It must emerge in in the realm of how individuals look at the professionals that they bring into their life, especially in, in health. It used to be, you know, you deferred to the white coat. But the more we look at the people we seek out to assist us in our health decisions, the more we realize we need partners people who respect us for where we stand and the information that we have researched, right? So look for those individuals in the healthcare community who really understand the partnership that you're entering into um, when you choose a healthcare provider. Um, So a a couple other little um, things of business here today. So sometimes our Liberty Hour, if it's very Washington State focused, um, will not be streaming to CHDTV because they try to have their programming have more of a national or global appeal. Um, And today is one of those days when our second hour, the Liberty Hour, is going to be very Washington State focused. So we want to let you know that if you're on CHDTV, when we get to the next hour, there are a couple other streaming platforms that you can choose from. Um, The Informed Choice Washington's Twitter page, our uh, Facebook page, and you can also just go on to KKNW. It's 1150kknw.com, and you can listen there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's visible there. I know you can listen to it, um, but and um, so it might stream there as well. We'll see if Nathan can give us the heads up of whether or not the the video also streams there live when we're doing it. I'm always on the show, so I'm not going to look to see if it's airing on the radio station. And of course, it's always available on podcast and um, and recording video later on. 
Okay. So with that said, Bob, I think I covered um, the important things that we need to cover. Oh, this health hour, this is really exciting, right? As we're going to our new format, really having health focus, very positive, good health information. Um, and then the liberty information, more about litigation, legislation, policy. Um, this first health hour is fully funded by the wonderful donors of Children's Health Defense and then specifically the Washington chapter. So we're really hoping those Washington chapter folks uh, step up and and you know, if you can give a recurrent donation to the Washington chapter, that's going to help keep um, this radio show on the air in Washington state behind enemy lines, as it were, in the whole realm of medical freedom and informed consent um, on the issues that we care about most. Um, so we're really excited about that. And then the second hour will continue to be funded by um, Informed Choice Washington. Um, so yes. That, you seem yes. particularly upbeat today. Is there a reason that you're upbeat? I, I just feeling really good about the future. I mean, maybe because we just got home from conference for the national conference where we got to meet with all, all of our peeps, all of the like-minded people sharing the information. And Bob, I, I think it's also because after the first couple of years of COVID, people have finally kind of figured out the way forward. And we're beginning to see legal victories and medical victories. And people are making choices that is going to improve their health and the health of children. So it's underway. So maybe that's what my upbeat is all about. Are you feeling it too? Are you feeling? Oh, I am. That was a wonderful convention. And it, I just can't believe all the doctors and lawyers there. Yeah. Amazing numbers of it's almost just an incredible amount of call it top cover for something mm -hmm. that's just been such a verboten subject, this alternative health field and anything yeah. that's not standard of care. Yeah. You know, and there were there were some moments of levity. And therefore, if, for those who can see online, I've got my new favorite T-shirt. Run from the CDC, it says. Uh, and, th and that's a Stand for Health Freedom shirt, correct? That is. Yep. Yeah. So they were there and they had the, what gets the most uh, comments on airplanes and running around town because it's fashioned as the Run DMC brand album cover. <laughs> run from the CDC. And I love it. I love it. It's a bit subtle and pretty much... A lot of people don't like the public health agencies now. I don't think we want to do this again. So let's learn from that and move yeah. forward, which is what this hour is about, I think. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So um, the theme of this show, Bob, is Kiss's work. I know it probably sounds really bizarre, but what we need really is um, a, a return to like when you and I were kids. I didn't fear disease when I was a kid, colds, flus, whatever. And I doubt you did. You know, if I fell down or I didn't feel well, I would go to my mom um, and I would, she would just open her arms and give me a big smile and say, let me kiss it, make it better. Oh, you're going to be okay. And she would nurture and love me and bring me things to sip on. And I felt so loved and nurtured you know, that it was a, it was a wonderful experience. You didn't want to feel bad, but it was such a loving thing. And, you know, there are studies now that show that believing you're going to get better 
simply because somebody told you that sort of placebo effect. It's very real. It's physically real. It's bio biologically real mm. that the mind can uh, heal the body. I wanted to to bring on. Uh, Hold on, I, I I've got uh, I lost track of all my my links because um, of our technical difficulties in the beginning, but I do have a link I want to share about a. Um, I'll find it. I'll find it. Why don't you go ahead? And I would like Bob. Do you have a story from your childhood? Um, well, yeah. When I had a cold or you know the seasonal winter cold or flu, uh, I certainly remember being disappointed. But mm -hmm. it, and I'll just quote my chiropractor right now. He, whenever I get sick and I go into the office and he says, well, you know, Bob, do you think maybe we were meant to get sick? <laughs> yeah. And he just leaves it there. He leaves that yeah. big question hanging in the air. And the more I think about it, I think so. It's, it, I, it's kind of a perverse perspective on it. But in some ways, I almost enjoyed the downtime. It was the excuse to just completely shut down, take care of self, do those things that my, my body was actually lacking, eat more balanced foods, go on liquid diets. Your body's maybe craving that chicken noodle soup and that comfort food stuff. And that just got me through. So I guess that's one thing. But you know, my parents right. were that, that certainly nurturing. And yeah, and that's definitely my takeaway from when I would be sick. My yeah. Didn't end up that way though. She's got a pretty harsh bedside manner now. Oh no. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know, and now what I love, cause you know, I'm kind of a science geek is the science of love. I think that's so cool that I now can measure the positive thinking actually is healing. We, you know, and it's funny to me, and I've said this several times is that people readily believe that stress can kill you that stress and anger and fear and all that can, can lead to heart disease and high blood pressure and, and, um, and be harmful to the immune system and increase your risk of cancer and all of that. But it's a little bit harder for people to believe that happiness and joy and hope can do the opposite, can increase your ability to resist cancer, to resist disease, but it's all there, right? You know, um, so just sort of embracing the fact that we do have the power. Um, you know, one of the greatest examples of how the mind can make a physical reaction in the body is just imagining sucking a lemon. You, suck, you know, if you think about it, your mouth will start to salivate, right? And it was a thought that turned on a physical. So why couldn't a thought actually impact a body process? It could, and it does. Um, and so I wanted to share a um, a little bit of a study on the neuroscience. We miss Javier today. He wasn't able to make it anything with neuroscience. I always think of, of Javier here. But, oh, let me make that a little bit bigger if I can. Um, do, let me, there we go. Um, so the neuroscience of placebo effects, connecting context, learning, and health. So I'll just read just a little bit. Placebo effects are beneficial effects that are attributable to the brain-mind responses to the context in which a treatment is delivered rather than to the specific effect actions of the drug. 
They are mediated by diverse processes, including learning expectations and social cognition, and can influence various clinical and physiological outcomes related to health. Emerging neuroscience evidence implicates multiple brain systems in neurochemical mediators, including opioids and dopamine. And then this article, it says, we present an empirical review of the brain systems that are involved in placebo effects, focusing on placebo analgesia, analgesia, can I not say that? Anyway, and a conceptual framework linking these findings to the mind-brain processes that mediate them. Um, this framework suggests that neuropsychological processes that mediate placebo effects may be crucial for a wide array of therapeutic approaches, including their many drugs. And I say, hey, who needs the drug component? Just use the mind, right? Um, it's it's really um, an they call them also nocebo effects. Where and it's interesting the image there where uh, a doctor is giving a shot to somebody and saying this is going to make you feel better. And then the individual does feel better, well, even if it was like a saline placebo that they were being injected with. It's a, it's a fascinating article and it's a fascinating science. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that backs up um, the human condition and how we're so impacted by our thoughts. And it really emphasizes why we need to not discount for our health, loving relationships, um, nurturing relationships, um, removing stress from our lives, taking time to, you know, to just laugh and be with and console. So I was very excited about that. Yeah, yeah. that's impressive. I mean, obviously we've been talking about the placebo effect for as long as I've been alive and well before. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a thing. Yeah. Hey, Bob, I sent um, you a PDF. Did it happen to arrive because I'm not able to locate it for some reason on my end? And if it didn't, I will uh, get it to us again. But just checking to see if you happen to have access to it to pull that up. Um, and in the meantime, while I do that, uh, do, 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 do. It's it's just a hiccup. Is it a full moon or something out uh, there? Maybe. Like no, I what? I didn't get anything. It didn't get anything. All righty. Well, I, let's move on then, and and I will I will get a hold of it. I want to move on then to lovely um, vitamin D, and I'm going to start though with um, I don't know. Oh, if was it's RSV? I'm sorry. Uh, vitamin D. Um, so. I'm going to see. You want me to bring up? I, ha I have it now. Oh, you've got the PDF? Wonderful. Uh, start, it's headlined under RSV. Yes. Yes, because I pulled in a lot of vitamin D and RSV studies. And then um, another thing I want to show folks is that the, um, let me go ahead and uh, take this off here. The, the FLCCC does a weekly Zoom meeting, 7 p.m. Eastern, every week on Wednesdays. I do encourage people to sign up for that and attend when they can. This last week, um, it was so good and so relevant to the conversation we're going to be having now. Um, I'm going to just show folks that in particular one. There we go. Pull it up a little bit. Make it a little bigger. So 
um, they had on Dr. William Grant and it was so good because Dr. Pierre Corey first learned about the disinformation playbook from uh, Dr. William Grant, who reached out to him and said, hey, Dr. Corey, what you're experiencing with ivermectin is exactly what they did to vitamin D. So the uh, pharmaceutical industry absolutely knows that vitamin D is essential um, for like every process in the body, for immune function, for um, uh, viral resistance, bacterial resistance, just about everything. Your immune, it's absolutely essential to the immune system. And so going back to Kiss's work, mama's love, papa's love saying, get out of the house, go out and get some sunshine, go get some fresh air. You know, they instinctively knew that relates to health. And I know modern parents do understand that, but I don't think they understand how absolutely important it is to the degree it is. And the more you learn about vitamin D, the more you realize how criminal public health has been in not talking about it every single day from every pulpit they can. Their abs, their silence on vitamin D is, is in my book, absolutely criminal. There we go. Did you find the um, PDF? I did, but of course I'm fighting sharing it. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just bounce it back at you. Okay. You bounce it back at me and we'll pull that up because there's some really good studies in there that, that I want to, um, let's see. Let me see where it went. There we go. I'm getting it. All right. This is exciting. I actually have it. Share this tab instead. <laughs> there we go. So I prepared this recently. I had a really good meeting with a uh, university professor, science researcher, who's opened a dialogue. And then we've had this dialogue ongoing Um for several years now. And I, I wanted to have the discussion about vitamin D and also iodine. So I brought forward all of this stuff and that's what I'm sharing with. And then we'll, we'll make this available, um, Bob, through Informed Choice Washington. And I'm not sure if we can do PDFs on the Substack page, but we'll find a way for listeners to get it. Um, and we'll let you know through our, our weekly newsletter that we have. Um, I'm going to make this just a, a wee bit bigger so that we can see it a little better. Um, so what I did, and I've highlighted something. So I'm just going to go go through and read and, and give you this overview. So here's one study. Vitamin D receptor polymorphisms and severe RSV bronchitis, bronchiolitis, I should say a systematic review and analysis. So I just highlighted in green the conclusion. Available literature supports an association between the, I don't know if I can pronounce it right, focal polymorphism and severe RSV disease. Determination of VDR receptor polymorphism status could help predict high-risk infants who might benefit from preventive measures. And I did a little research so I could kind of understand this language here, but basically it's talking about the receptors um, 
vitamin D receptors. And there are genetic, but also environmental factors that input, impact how well somebody's vitamin D receptors are working. And it turns out that some of those factors are um, access to sunlight. So sunlight is not only impacting your vitamin D levels, but also your vitamin D receptor ability, capability, right? So it makes me, it makes it seem almost as if, you know, the, the vitamin D um, supplements are good, but you still need sunshine in order to probably properly utilize that vitamin D. Um, diet is important. There's several other environmental factors um, that are really important there. So I just thought that was pretty cool. So then vitamin D and neonatal immune function is another one that says epidemiological studies have also shown a link between vitamin D deficiency in children and a more severe course of illness with lower respiratory tract infection or respiratory syncytial virus. I can never say that. Sorry. RSV bronchiolitis. So again, that's that correlation that are not the correlation association, low vitamin D, higher risk of severe disease. Here's another one. Better newborn vitamin D status lowers RSV associated bronchiolitis in infants. And so this says two recent studies have provided important information concerning the association between cord blood 25 OHD and subsequent risk of developing respiratory infection in very young children. These findings support the need in future studies to determine the extent to which an intervention to change the vitamin D status of mothers during pregnancy can reduce the risk of RSV-associated LRTI, I think that's um, lower respiratory tract infection, in their offspring. An answer to this question would have significant worldwide public health importance given the high prevalence of low vitamin D status worldwide and the high mortality burden accompanying infectious lung diseases in children. But Bob, what did they do instead of researching this? What are they pushing now? What has just been licensed? RSV vaccines for pregnant women that do not prevent infection or transmission and that wane very rapidly and that come with a red flag risk of um, uh, premature uh, birth, and which another challenge on yeah mortality and mm -hmm. natality. So, uh, can you expand a little bit? I just wanted to see a little closer in the document. Sure, you bet. I will. I will do that. Is there something that I'm missing? I apologize. I haven't been paying to the chat in, in our. Um, oops, that's the wrong one. Um, just zoom in on the PDF. Thanks. Yeah. There we go. All righty. So um, anyway, so that is really, really important. Bernadette, vitamin yes. D doesn't cost anything. So you need to find something that costs yeah, I money know. in order to fight any of our infectious diseases. Yeah. Well, here we go again. And I'll, I'll go through these kind of rapidly because it's just shocking to me how much science is out there supporting vitamin D and they had everybody shut down lockup. And, and now there was commercials today all over the place, putting fear in new mothers with babies on the way about RSV. Not a, and they were promoting the new 
vaccine. Okay, serum vitamin D levels and life-threatening RSV infection in previously healthy infants. The conclusion was um, the patients who developed lower uh, tract disease, um, basically they had lower amounts of vitamin D. Uh, vitamin D and respiratory viral infections, that concluded that vitamin D can regulate the antiviral immune response in the respiratory tract in order to provide an effective defense against RSV infections or any respiratory viral infection and prevention from excessive inflammatory response and tissue damage. In addition, this vitamin has preventive effects against respiratory viral infections. Preventive effects, Bob. Some studies during the COVID pandemic have shown that vitamin D deficiency may be associated with a higher risk of mortality and severe disease in patients with COVID-19, since more attention has recently been focused on vitamin D. In this article, after a brief overview of the antiviral immune response, they reviewed the role of vitamin D for RSV, influenza, and COVID-19. So, so important, so important. Another one, vitamin D binding prototype haplotype or protein haplotype is associated with hospitalization for RSV. Same thing. Um, and then effects of maternal vitamin D supplementation during pregnancy and, la and lactation on infant acute respiratory infections. Now, this one was really interesting, and I, I highlighted and read the conclusion. See, they supplemented these women. Just, and th they concluded that despite a high prevalence of maternal baseline vitamin D deficiency and significant effects of maternal vitamin D supplementation on infant vitamin D status, the intervention did not reduce the risk of microbiologically confirmed um, respiratory disease in infants up to six months of age. But then I pointed out that the they said high dose was 28,000 IU a week, which is 4,000 a day. That's not that much. That's not enough to get them up to the, the study, which I cite next. They have to have it above 75, whatever N-M-O-L per L stands for. I forget all the nomenclature here. Hmm. Um, it, nothing was above 50 at the end of the study. So they did not supplement enough, Bob. Hmm. Yeah, then, that's, that's a pretty harmless supplement as well. Right. And so then I... Um, I looked up what amounts are necessary and found association between umbilical cord vitamin D levels and adverse neonatal outcomes. And that's when I learned you need at least 75, 75 or greater cord blood vitamin D deficiency is associated with the increased risk of preterm birth, neonatal respiratory distress syndrome, and hospitalization during the first year of life. So we keep hearing that, that, um, that mortality in the United States babies under one is going up. Vitamin D could answer all of this. It's so infuriating to me. Um, and then we've got a graph, but I just kind of read that off. Another vitamin D decreases um, RSV induction. Um, anyway, just, it goes on. And, okay, that was the last of what I put in there, but I was selective. There are a lot more studies on vitamin D. Um, so then, uh, yeah, are there any downsides to supplementing vitamin D? Um, I have, I have heard that if you do excessive amounts for very long, 
there is some uh, negative impact that can happen and you do need vitamin D with vitamin K. So again, this is why we are not giving complete medical, we're not giving medical advice. So go do your research, talk to your trusted healthcare provider who's knowledgeable about vitamin D to find out how, what your level, everybody's different. Not everybody absorbs it the same, right? Um, in fact, the heavier you are, the more vitamin D you need. They have found that the somebody who is severely obese needs like five times more vitamin D supplementation because they've got a, a metabolic syndrome going on that is not a, effectively taking it in. I don't, you know, know all the science on that, but that's why you need to find individually what's going to be best for you. And of course, everybody can do safe amounts of sunshine because nature knows how to give you what you need. <laughs> don't get sunburned, but um, Right. So and, and we can still get some effects of the sun just being in, under cloud cover, but outdoors, you're still getting more. Uh, some of that light is still coming through the clouds. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Light. Yeah. And different times of year and all that. And then, of course, eating those foods that are high in vitamin D, there's certain mushrooms. Because I, I looked that up one day, I was driving back from a conference with my sister and I said, you know, humans have been around for a very long time and we didn't always have vitamin D supplement. So how did we survive? Right. And so there were there were two things in particular that we don't eat as often or at all. Um, a lot of us eat mushrooms, but we're not necessarily eating the really good nutrient rich vitamin D rich mushrooms that exist. So I guess we could do more research on that. But the something else that we don't eat modern people is we don't eat organ meat. We certainly don't eat raw organ meat. And that's loaded in vitamin D. We all know about cod liver oil, for instance, is loaded in natural vitamin D. My mom gave it to us as kids and it tasted horrible when we were kids, Bob. Right? Did you did your mother force feed you cod no, liver oil no, as a kid? They tried the liver and onions trick on us as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess liver has some of that too. Oh, my mom loved liver and onions. No, and we I never had the cod liver oil. So I guess we yeah. just had a lot of fish. We just ate fish. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the oily fish, the small oily fish are better. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Um, so we're not doing that. And so thus the supplementation. And there are other things that have vitamin D, but those are the two main ones that I that I can recall. And um, so then the next thing about mother's love, grandma's wisdom, and I apologize for always choosing the female, the mom, because dads are nurturing too. Traditionally, it has been the moms that kiss it, make it better. But I know that there are dads that are great dads like you, right, that are nurturing and know these things as well. So I apologize. I don't mean to offend. <laughs> um, would be, you know, good salt air. Didn't didn't people used to go for health um, trips to the beach? You'd go uh, convalesce at the beach, and um, you know you could go to healing spas at the ocean, and they'd put you, you know, on a nice beach chair, cover you with a blanket, and a nurse would take care of you. But exposure to that good salt air was so important, right? That fresh air, and there's just so much in the fresh air that's important. I want to see if I can find the, um, oh, where did it go? I can't find it. But I found, um, now I've lost myself. I found a, um, a, a study that shows that 
good fresh ocean air actually has iodine in it. Who knew it? So you breathe it in and that iodine right in, you know, getting in there in your lungs and, and how healing it is because it's one of the essential nutrients that we absolutely need. Um, so then I wanted to show you, Bob, um, here's, and, and everybody listening, of course, some of the science on iodine. It's just amazing, especially when you hear the history. It's another one like vitamin D that, that has been attempted to be suppressed, the information on to reduce intake. And a lot of modern things have taken iodine out of our diet. Uh, very concerning. Um, so here we have... Oh, you had shared with me, this is what um, one of the things I want to talk about, Bob, you had shared with me a, a recent Medline posted, was it Medline posted? Med, MedPage today. Yeah, MedPage today about gargling uh, saline solution. Right. And how it, it reduced. And I'm like, well, yeah, saline solution can, um, there's studies showing it can have a certain effect and it's good for cleansing and people, our mothers had us do that or dads, probably chiropractors know all about gargling, but I feel like they're embracing the gargling four years into COVID <laughs> was a day late and a dollar short. And it's a bit, a bit like trying to tell us to put on a mask because if you're not putting a drop of iodine in there, you're not really getting full protection. <laughs> you're not getting what you need. If you just, and again, look up the amounts, um, there are uh, the FLCCC has um, advice on how much iodine to use in different things. You can basically make a saline solution to gargle with or do the nasal flush. And then you just put a drop of your povidone iodine in there. Or the one that I like to use right now, oh, it'll come to me. There's another form of iodine and it's clear um, and it's kind of thick. Um, it'll come to me in a bit. Uh, so, Listen to this, though, the amazing iodine. Uh, povidone iodine gargle mouthwash diluted 1 to 30, equivalent to a concentration of 0.23%, showed effective bacterial cytal activity against pneumonia and, and streptococcus pneumonia and rapidly inactivated SARS-CoV, MERS-CoV, influenza and rotavirus after 15 seconds of exposure. So Bob, why wasn't Fauci on day one standing at the podium and talking about this age old knowledge and telling everybody do some gargling and nasal flushes and we got this? I can give you two different kinds of answers. <laughs> yeah. I can give you the answer that he might give and yeah. I can give you the answer that I think. What do you think his excuse is? His excuse is this is a, no, I can't do a Fauci accent. Uh, this is a novel virus. We don't know how it behaves and we have to be in fear. Right? Um, yeah. And we would say, well, it's in the coronavirus family. And the science shows that there has never been a virus, A, that it doesn't quickly um, destroy and B, that becomes immune to it. That's the other beauty of iodine is they've never seen any evidence of immune built of, of something becoming intolerant or, or tolerant to it, unlike antibiotics. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's just insane that they did not do that. And then there have been studies during COVID in hospitals in other countries with like 3000 hospital workers. And as long as they were on the, the 
gargling uh, protocol, they did not get sick. So this has been verified in, in many, many mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we yeah. also know the other answer is they needed to ramp up a little bit of fear so mm -hmm. that they could make sure that there were no alternatives under yeah. the act. They needed to make sure that there was no alternative so they yeah. could get the vaccine covered. Right. And it, again, it's criminal. And they've been doing this. I mean, even pre-COVID, parents, why aren't public health agencies that are supposed to serve us through our taxpayer dollars talking about these free or very inexpensive approaches to improve health? I mean, even if they were going to do push their pharma products, they should have been doing this as well. But yeah. 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 So the I might have talked about this before, iodine, the forgotten weapon against influenza. There, um, it, it's in this that we will provide to you. But the coolest thing I read in there was that um, once you have enough iodine in you, in your, like your thyroid, it begins to push it out of the body and it pushes through the mucus. So your mucus lining your nose and throat, you know, and all that is supposed to have a little bit of iodine in there all set to kill any virus it encounters in 15 seconds or less. Just saying. We have so screwed up natural God-given immunity. Well, that's why I was so surprised to see that article in MedPage today. They're, they're running something that would have got you canceled three years ago. Yeah. Said, this is a home <laughs> treatment. But they use the passwords. If you look at the article, they use the passwords. Oh, but you should never use this as a replacement for vaccination or other treatments like Paxlovid. <laughs> Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This showed a three to one benefit of gargling to keep mm -hmm. you out of the hospital. Well, that's the last little thing the vaccine is claiming is yeah. that we're going to improve your hospitalization. There was a medical doctor at a, a county meeting, a mm -hmm. county board health meeting down here in Cowlitz, who said, well, you know, it still helps with hospitalization. Well, maybe gargling does too, three to one. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just with saline. You you put some iodine in there. <laughs> Yeah, now we're up there. And so I, I, I won't spend any more time on this, but you can see study after study after study shows how important iodine is in the right amounts. And then um, I'll go ahead and stop uh, sharing that because I'm not going to go into, this is the positive health hour. So I'm not going to go into the dangers of the, and the lack of science and the red flags and the inability to prevent infection or transmission of the new products on the market. Um, but please be warned and go look up and uh, do your medical due diligence um, on that. So now um, there were a couple other things. I'm trying to get my computer to go back to it. If I can, there we go. A uh, couple other things, Bob, that are so exciting to me. Maybe this is why I was excited because I, I feel like we're so empowered to be healthy and, oh, the other thing, Bob, this is the other thing that excites me. When I get healthy, when I help my family get healthy, help my friends get healthy, not only are we empowering ourselves to live a better life, but I don't have any money going to feed the monster of Big Pharma, right? It, and, you know, how do you, you know, Reform Pharma has now officially launched um, reformpharmanow.org. Please check it out. It is an initiative of Children's Health Defense. Um and, you know, one of the things every one of us can do each and every day of our lives is to um, get de-prescribe and choose options that do not put money in pharma's pocket. 
if, if they want our business, they have to provide a service that actually su that um, supports health, right? If they want to quit what they're doing and go build good things <laughs> and bottle good things, we might be with them. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, did you want me to uh, show that one there, Bob? I just surprising benefits of iodine. You just found a new one. Very cool. Very that was good. the article just to support the ocean air. Ah, oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah, that is so cool that it does that. Um, I, let's see. But I wanted to move on to another one. Let's see. Where did I have that? Have you ever heard of the cold sock method, Bob? No. For, yeah, no. it's cool. Um, it's cool. It's cold. It's cool. It's cold. It's cool. <laughs> so it, it's another thing that's, that people have done for you know, many a long time, you know, grandmas do this, put cold socks on your feet and they didn't know why it works, but it works. And now we do know why it works. So the wet sock treatment, a home remedy for colds and flus. So how does it work? This hydrotherapy, and, and I want to thank uh, this website, drgreenmom.com. That's where I'm getting this information here, drgreenmom.com. Thank you for posting this. First time I read about it was at Bastyr Naturopathic University. They've got um, information. They did too, but I found this first. So uh, this hydrotherapy treatment works by using heat and cold to improve full body circulation. When you first put the cold socks under your feet, your body automatically responds by dilating the blood vessels in your feet, resulting in more blood being moved to the feet, which warms them. This increases circulation throughout your entire body. Once the feet and socks warm up, circulation returns to normal. As a result, your feet and socks will eventually get cold again, and your body will increase blood flow to warm your feet again. This cycle continues throughout the night, and you wake up with warm feet and dry socks. And then... Um, it, it, so it eventually ends up with more white blood cells, this blood circulation, more white blood cells to help your body fight the infection. And reducing body temperature. I see a the paragraph there. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually, I guess, can, you know, have a dampening effect on a fever. Yeah. To make it more comfortable. Fevers, but not if they're too, too high. Right, right. Fever is good, but they also can make you very uncomfortable. And some people you get above a certain, it makes you nauseated and it's no fun to throw up. So it, it can be. And then, you know, this article is good about who should avoid this treatment. Um, people with circulatory problems. Um, people are unable to identify or vocalize temperature discomfort, it says. So, I mean, you know, always take caution and find out if it's, it's safe for you or your child. Make sure your child's old enough for such a, a therapy. But I thought that was another one that is really cool um, and empowering for mama bears and papa bears to embrace. And then I just have one more uh, resource, Bob, that I wanted to share with you and our folks here. Let's see. Let's go to and this one is a lot of home remedies that people um, have been aware of for a while, like a few thousand years. Um, if you stream where I bring that in. So I think we've all heard about uh, lavender. Um, is that something you've used um, in your home, Bob, lavender? I, I haven't. We have a lavender bush in the backyard, but we haven't gone into 
make it into any kind of uh, treatment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there have been some tremendous studies about the benefits of lavender, bo um, both taken internally and as an essential oil, just the fragrance. And it's amazing that fragrance can be healing. You, it's like, but it can. It, hmm. um, it's good for treating migraines, lowering anxiety or restlessness um, for memory troubles when when stressed and it can improve sleep. And I know they make uh, little lavender pills that you can take for anxiety. Um, so I know somebody took those for a little while, but then stopped because it didn't like the taste of the lavender burps. <laughs> so you got to really like lavender, but um, yeah, I just, so it's, it's another one that big pharma has products for, but there are, are things that have been used forever. Um, so these, these are great are, finds, Bernadette. I mean, I, I'm putting them down on my list. Uh, cool. I like the memory and anxiety part. Yes. A lot of studies, even comparing lavender to pharmaceutical products. You'll be surprised at what you'll find. I mean, go down that rabbit hole. Uh, mint for muscle pain and digestion is another one. And, um, you know, reduces spasms, um, different pains, and it looks like it's clicking to uh, all their science here. Fenugreek is a good one for milk production when you're breastfeeding. Um, and it's so funny because I remember um, one of the ones I was always told about was have a beer. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll stick with the fenugreek and not, <laughs> not have a beer. But I don't know if it's the hops or something in beer that's supposed to be helpful, but I don't think you're supposed to be drinking while you're nursing. Um, magnesium, of course, is just astounding. So magnesium rich foods for everything is what this says. Feeling muscle pains, fatigue, more migraines. Um, if you're in a numbed emotional state, you know, so much, you become deficient in magnesium so easily. You're, it's one of those stress nutrients. And when you're under stress, your body just needs more. Um, there's just so many functions. In fact, I remember... Uh, hearing that there's two things in the ER, one I knew about, or like in a hospital, if you go in there and you've got undiagnosed, they don't know what's wrong with you. And, and it seems to be like heart related, this is pre COVID shots, but they would give you, um, IV of magnesium. They would just get up your magnesium levels as a last resort because they knew it would help whatever's going on. But some of the iodine information that we'll provide to, uh, on our Substack, um, they used to give iodine as well. They knew if something was going on and they couldn't figure what it is, this individual might actually be low in iodine because iodine deficiency manifests as a whole lot of um, health um, issues. <clears throat> I don't know that they even go through that anymore. Hmm. Yeah, there's just so much about magnesium um, that's essential and you, you, heart palpitations, nervousness, anxiety. And for a lot of people, they've got that underlying magnesium deficiency. Um, plants is meta. I think that was the main ones there. Yeah, I've had a herbalist on the show before. You know, I don't think that we have, I think that's a good idea. I think we do need to have an herbalist on the show. I'm, I'm coming around after going to all these conferences and seeing the various people in the booths with supplements, mm -hmm. but uh, just an amazing array of plants and other things we find in nature that our bodies mm -hmm. are probably used to at some point in the past. And 
yeah. the nurturing or the healing properties of these is I'm sure either understudied or studied to the point of they made a pharmaceutical out of it and yes. they're making it cost. And yes. So the actual natural herb. Yeah. I'm very curious if we can't get more of the, the herbal solutions put back up on the front. And I've got a couple of books from a, a devout herbal remedy follower. Mm-hmm. And she swears by it. She can always find something. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little trial and error for each individual and the right. downsides just aren't there. There are really no side effects for going through herbal treatments. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say exactly no. I know what you mean no, compared no, no. to pharma with eight pages of tiny print, you know, and what it may cause. <laughs> um, but you do have to, it is potent medicine, especially when anything you're going to take in a concentrated amount you know, and when you're going to be taking herbs, making a tincture, you're concentrating something that's in nature, you know, and, and it can potentially have impacts. You do need to know what you're doing, but the beauty is you can grow your own. You can go out and get that. And we never want to lose the ability to grow our own medicine. Food is medicine. The herbs are medicine. And I, the more I learn about homeopathy and last week, Leslie Manukian was on with Javier did you, I, I got to go back and listen. It was so good. Yeah. I that know. Was last She's week. fantastic. Yeah. And she having, is. Yep. I, yeah. I, I will go back. Yeah. And, and her journey of learning about homeopathy was really fun to hear. Um, and I know some various homeopaths here and, you know, you can make your own homeopathy. You can do it. You, you know, it's a bit of a science you have to learn, but even if you just take the, the pre-made from a very trusted source, you can continue to, uh, duplicate it. And I want to learn how to do that. So it can be very economical to make your own medicine. And of course, this is what big pharma fears that we will take charge of our health. And, um, but yeah. Um, so maybe that's like you said at the top of the hour, Bernadette, why are you so, um, happy today? (laughs) And maybe that's why I'm feeling very empowered by, by human nature, by, the wisdom of creation and, and all of us figuring out how to overcome and how to move forward. You know, I think yeah. we're get, getting her done. And the way you couch this hour as well today, this episode was just, you know, get away from the fear, the fear response. Mm-hmm. We don't need to react too much to that fear, except, you know, and maybe an acute way, if there's an imminent danger, but just long-term fear is driving our stress levels, our anxiety, and our yeah. bodies just break down. Yeah. And can't process all the wonderful solutions you just brought forward. So it really yes. makes it difficult. So uh, one of the quotes that uh, I stumbled across, in fact, I don't know if it's worth mentioning here, but Scott Adams' new book, Reframing Your Brain. Oh. Uh, it's got a lot of life hacks, essentially, uh, how to mm-hmm. be more successful. He writes it from a perspective, a business perspective, but there are a lot of uh, things you can use on your health and your mental and, and your and your psyche to make sure mm-hmm. that your attempts at better health take mm-hmm. hold. And he says, don't live in the problem, live in the solution. Mm. I like that. Our live heads are so looking down the rut of yeah. what the problem is. We don't often get that chance to just look up a little bit and say, mm-hmm. oh, there's actually a better way to go. And I'm yeah. in that direction. So, mm-hmm. Far be it from me to be any kind of mental health counselor. I just, that really resonated for me and nice and short and memorable. 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring up though mental health counselor because sure, there are circumstances that people find themselves in where they do potentially need that trained professional. But whatever happened to, you know, best friends helping each other through a difficult time, just being that ear to listen to, you know, sometimes just sitting there and listening and letting somebody cry and talk and rant is all they really needed. Um, families supporting people through through grief, through, you know, the ups and downs of life. We can do this. Everything doesn't have to have a label, uh, a professional <laughs> and, and, and a, a pill, right? Getting back to just life whoo, is a roller coaster and we can help ourselves help each other through it. Um, I think we need to get back to that, get back to the importance. I reached out to the author of the book, um, The Anxiety of, or wait, The Anatomy of Anxiety. I heard her interviewed um, and it was wonderful. She was talking about how the trouble with some of the psychotropic drugs is that they, they numb you to emotions. So you don't deal with whatever it is that has you upset, that has you depressed or, or whatever you're going through, it numbs you completely. But then once you get away from those drugs, those problems are still there and you have not dealt with your emotions or your reaction or whatever the problem is. She said, and then she talked about the healing power of, of tears. And she knew the science of it, the science of what happens in your brain when you, when you cry and it's so wonderfully healing, you know, and you get through, it's a catharsis. And, you know, so not, it's, it's like, it's sort of like, we don't need to fear the disease process. It's our body's healing. We don't need to fear the grief process. The tears and those emotions are healing. They're part of getting through to the next stage of life. Right. And, and we, and so much is out there trying to avoid symptoms. And we really do have need to have that different mindset, as you said earlier, Bob, the different mindset of this is just your body and nature's way of um, getting you to where you need to go. Well, I'm all for that, but I'm not going to cry. That's not in my room. No, <laughs> no. No, you crying in Bob's healthcare. Oh no, that's so funny. <laughs> I'll have to talk to your wife and see what she's. Yeah, says but no, that, that's interesting. <laughs> that, that actually might point to one of my big issues. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've cried in a long time. You probably have a different way of releasing. I would hope because you seem very healthy and and sane and <laughs> doing well, Bob. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh shoot! One minute to go. So. This we, we've got one more great hour coming up, um, but we're not going to be on CHD TV. We will be on Informed Choice Washington's Twitter um, page, streaming live. We're on our Facebook page, streaming live, and you can also go to KKNW and hear us there. So, if you want to hear into the Great Liberty Hour, we're going to do some amazing coverage of uh, litigation and legislation and elections in Washington state. So find us on the Liberty Hour in just a few minutes. And we have just a quick reminder too, we do have Brian Ward, a uh, surprise late guest. Okay, excellent. Brian Ward, surprise late guest is, is coming on that show. Yeah. All righty, you've been listening to The Health Hour by 
Washington Chapter Children's Health Defense on Inform Life Radio. Everybody have a great weekend and we will see you next time. Jump over to the Liberty Hour. Yeah. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's health and their futures in Washington State.